Hi, I'm Jeffrey Hart. I'm a natural builder based in the UK, and this is Cut the Craft. I, I can't comprehend it. I just like looking at them under a microscope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so biophilia from you know, my, my basic understanding is, is like, you know, this appreciation that if you're looking at a tree uh you're calmer you're like you've got less stress hormones and things like that okay and okay. so like how can we harness that and bring it inside like one of the the patterns so it's all based on patterns mm. in the style of uh, christopher alexander like one of them is feeling like a breeze uh and that's a a thing that you know reminds us that we probably should be outside, I guess. But it's... <laughs> that we're human beings, not cyborgs. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah, there's all these different patterns about bringing nature inside and you know, having things that remind us of nature. So sort of uh, patterns and uh, sort of, you know, like a, a representation of a leaf. If you had that on a cushion, it's like, you know, it's doing that thing in your brain that, that makes you happy. Uh, and so they're they're really cool. looking at, at sort of deliberately doing that to try and stop everyone being miserable inside buildings. <laughs> <laughs> well, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, worthy cause. Cool. <laughs> Welcome to Cut the Craft, everybody. I'm Brian, and I'm Amy, and we are here with Jeffrey Hart, a natural builder based out of the UK. Jeffrey, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. I mean, we should maybe say that this is like the second part of of a monster marathon, isn't it? Oh, like, right. Yes. Yeah, I was just going to say we've spent um, probably close to two hours talking already. So it's kind of funny um, <laughs> to introduce you because I feel like I already know you a little bit. <laughs> but um, for uh, our listeners, um, can you tell us what like what is a natural builder um uh kind of generally for people who aren't in your field and then maybe a little bit more specifically for those who uh would kind of have their toes in natural building already <laughs> yeah okay uh so i mean i'm always a little bit hesitant about how i describe myself and i uh, yeah natural builder i think on the one hand sounds like I'm really arrogant and I'm just naturally really good at building. Uh, and, um, and if you Google natural builder, you get loads of people who are like uh, lifting weights, but they're vegan. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. <laughs> uh, so, but what I do is I'm a, I'm a builder uh, and I specialize in using natural materials uh, to create really high performance, uh, healthy homes, that uh, are gonna it's and, and sort of you know it's protecting the uh the occupant but also like the world from you know the the dreaded climate change and and uh, you know associated badness mm. cool so it's designed it then sort of using things that are di more direct resources less processed resources i guess if you were to understand it in terms of like food ingredients it would be less processed materials um, and then it's also, it's depleting the earth's resources less because you're getting things from closer. So there's a smaller carbon footprint. 
Um, but then on top of that, it's just, it's better for you. I'm looking at this wall right now and I can see the lead paint curling off the wall. So not that. Not, not that. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really, I mean, I see it as you know, you're looking at nature and, and my sort of my palette, I guess, that I, that I will generally use is, is wood, uh, you know, timber in, in its sort of rawest form whenever possible uh clay is is sort of a thing that i i build with a lot and like the magic of clay as a material and the you know the absolute like atrocity that it's overlooked by by sort of air quotes modern society mm. um but i mm. can go into that that's a whole rant i can say for later <laughs> <laughs> then uh sort of lime which is in in a way it's like the original concrete cement uh but just way better and then stone is you know another another material that's that's part of my palette and finally it's usually insulating with some kind of agricultural co-product is the best way to describe it and that might be straw it might be hemp uh sheep's wool is a you know it's a thing which is largely thrown away because it's worthless and so it's a really good insulator it's really healthy um so that's one of the the materials that's that's sort of in our in our palette cool my mind is spinning with questions now (laughs) 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 well it's just i mean we amy we talked a little bit on uh episode earlier this year with cody uh, she was talking about her drive to this. She feels it within herself to that. She's like, we're going to build our own house. And like, they've started digging out the site and that's been a huge pipe dream of mine. And so I'm just, I'm so excited to learn more about how these, I guess, different things are, are playing, are working together. And then, but also how we got so far away from them to begin with. Uh, I mean, they just seem so practical and e- like, it doesn't even seem like they're that hard to come by. Um, but like, why is it easier to build a house out of vinyl and like glued, glued board and stuff like that? Yeah. Well, I think uh, certainly over here, uh, there, there was a big change that happened. I think, you know, post industrial revolution, I think the big change was really like two world wars, which decimated mm. like you know, a whole generation of people that might have been working in these traditional ways, you know, would have done apprenticeships and knowledge would have been handed down. And, and then, mm. you know, these guys went off to war and either were killed outright or, you know, came back and were so messed up that they, they weren't going to go back to their, their jobs. Mm. Um, and that put a sudden, like, sharp shock of, of sort of change. Um, and that coincided with uh, concrete coming about where, uh, you know, it was prolifically used by the, in the armies. Uh, they're, they're building, you know, uh, whatever they need as quickly as possible. And, you know, and concrete for, for all its badness, you know, it, it, it's quick and it, it becomes a thing that's really solid really quickly. Um, mm-hmm. So they had this new material that they thought was brilliant and needed to, to rebuild all these, you know, destroyed buildings. And, uh, and so concrete was like the, the thing. 
Hmm. And, uh, and then, yeah, like people were obviously making money out of concrete and selling it. And I think, you know, I don't want to be like the anti-capitalist, uh, (laughs) (laughs) it's all bad, but I mean, it, it had money behind it. And therefore, like the codes, certainly in, in the States, you know, like the codes where you have to build in a certain way, that's because of mm-hmm. lots of lobbying and lots of money behind behind a product, right? essentially. Mm-hmm. Whereas clay, that's got no money. Like the only sort of research and, and lobbying <laughs> happens from like weird little geeks like me who get together and you know, <laughs> try and like push this, this alternative material. Yeah, I mean, I'd... I'd say that's that's sort of probably a big big cause of the why we've changed. I'm totally winging it here, so maybe I'm wrong, and please correct me if I am. But you know that um, the code, the building codes during the big kind of suburbia boom throughout the 20th century were originally kind of made in order to create a basic standard because. People were finding cheaper and cheaper and cheaper ways of making it. And then all of a sudden a house would like fall on the person like two years into living there <laughs> or something like that. And, and, but then eventually that really the low standard of the code is what eventually also put a cap on how good you could make something uh, because that they didn't really accommodate for that sort of like, that was just the baseline. Is that true? Uh, or you know, what's your experience with that? Uh, I'm not too sure. I think, uh, I think things develop differently, certainly on the, you know, on opposite sides of the, the pond. Uh, sure. We definitely had like a, so bricks were a thing, you know, very commonly used most, you know, a huge proportion of, of buildings out this way are, are brick mm. or stone or, you know, and I, haven't really seen that in my time in the states it's it's you know timber was the i mean you had loads of timber didn't you i mean yeah like obscene amounts <laughs> um yeah uh so yeah i can't i don't think i can speak too much for how how those codes came about mm. um and certainly in the uk like we're not we don't have to build to a code as such we have to sort of meet a standard uh, and hmm. it's yeah, we, we it's, it's different. Huh? Dang it! Well, I guess I'll have to keep looking into that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying you're wrong <laughs> by any means. Yeah. So, Jeffrey, how do we get back to you know becoming more acquainted and also using natural materials like clay and uh, more raw forms of wooden materials things like that stone yeah well it's a i mean it's a great question and it's something that's well, it's a debate that's sort of raging at the moment uh in the uk is that like we've we've gone through this idea of of like wrapping buildings in loads of insulation to make sure that throughout their you know their life people don't use a lot of energy to heat or cool them and that's like a known thing and you know, people are on board with that. Uh, the way they're doing it is generally with like uh, foams and you know petro- petrochemical products. Uh, really, mm-hmm. so high high energy uh, products. You know, steel and glass. Uh, 
Um, and what the sort of push at the moment is, uh, is that we've, we've now realized that all the energy that goes into making that building is like as important as the, the energy which is used throughout the process, mm. uh, throughout the, the lifespan of that, that building. Mm-hmm. And, and so people are now looking for the, the low embodied energy, the low embodied carbon, um, materials well they're they're starting to and it's you know people like us uh sort of natural builders who have been doing this for a while and are now kind of like yes you can you can build stuff out of wood you know you can uh there's there's insulation products which you know like uh, any builder could install uh just like they're installing like the the like rigid foam insulation and stuff like that that are made out of wood fiber uh you know they're doing almost as good a job of insulating but they're actively locking away carbon into a building so like reversing climate change by taking carbon out of the atmosphere but yeah i think the way that the the way that we're we're going to be pulled back from that you know sort of concrete steel and glass building and you know foam insulations is is by legislation being put into to place to say you know, you need to not do that it's mm. it's it's definitely as bad as as you know the sort of buildings we, we were building way back when hmm. is that big policy push going on right now in the uk yes so there's um there's an organization called acan which is the architect climate action network they might well be worldwide i certainly know of them in in the uk um Mm. and they they've just done a a sort of really big push and they're they're sort of lobbying uh the government to get this as a recognized thing and yeah i was actually so my the podcast got nominated for uh, an award uh and in the other finalists was acan and i was like nope <laughs> what i'm doing is very very small level influencing of people oh. <laughs> uh, compared to what they're doing but i was i was very pleased to lose to them well and uh i guess also even though we're you know already well into the the conversation i suppose that i don't think we mentioned it explicitly but when you say your podcast um you're talking about the building sustainability podcast which you jeffrey hart the natural builder hosts um and then two this is part of this is one part of either two parts or two parts of a half of uh, (laughs) jeffrey has interviewed us and we will be on his show so that's what this is all a part of (laughs) (laughs) I, i think i've actually got a little bit more answer to uh to the question before if oh. uh, take it yeah. away and that's i mean this is going down down my recent uh biophilia nerd out that is is sort of encompassing my life at the moment <laughs> but uh yeah there's these uh, people studying biophilia and biophilic design and realizing that humans uh perform best in nature uh there's studies mm. where and this is like I think back in the 60s or 70s, where they looked at people recovering in hospitals and one group had a view out the window at some trees and the other had no view at all. Mm -hmm. And the people with the view of the trees uh, needed fewer drugs. uh, They were out of there quicker. 
and they made fewer complaints wow than the you know the the people with no view and it's you know it is it's you're getting positive effects and then they've they've done tests in schools where you know there's views and there's biophilic designs sort of on the wall uh you know really simple little changes to a classroom and the you know the the corresponding test results go go way higher wow and so yeah this is all this is ways that we're we're mimicking nature and bringing nature inside uh to you know better our like health and uh you know levels of stress and uh and this kind of stuff mm. and the most simple way to do that is to build with natural materials and it's you know so really relevant to to the podcast and to to craft is is like that one of the examples they gave is like if you have a, a wooden handle with a sort of grain texture on it that's you getting a little biophilic like yes and that's your you know your brain happy signal a little feedback yeah exactly and so you know you're eating with a wooden spoon you're getting that you know, you're you know i've got a wooden table it's it's kind of kicking back and you know you're we mentioned this in my podcast uh but you the uh the little emblems you're putting on your your books the stamps mm. you know when they're nature based that's that's giving the same excitement to the to the brain which you know is, is just really beneficial that's nice to know <laughs> yeah um but yeah the the more i think that becomes uh commonplace and yeah i think certainly over here people's mental health is becoming more and more of a a thing and you know it seems like it's getting worse generally mm. and so there's i mean there needs to be a big push into like how we can make people uh, you know happier again yeah and obviously i think natural materials will, <laughs> will solve that <laughs> it's it's what i do but uh <laughs> yeah so that's yeah that's another hope of how we can how we can bring it back wow so cool that's amazing uh, what i think what's wild and what the the people in the the book said is it's like it's the science of proving like your natural intuition uh i think we all know nature is is good it's soothing it's calming it's yeah it's it's good for us Mm -hmm. uh and i think anyone that sort of stepped into a, a natural building will always say like there's a feeling there's something about it and no one can really put their their finger on it mm-hmm. uh so to now know and this is why it's it's like i won't shut up about it now because since i've discovered <laughs> it it's like yes it's answering all things it's why i love craft it's why i love building it's <laughs> yeah it's all these things i think it, it's kind of funny when you think about it like how we've been so trained to think that only that which is like measurable is somehow valid you know and when we finally come around to like measuring the right thing, then we're like, see, I told you self, like I told myself that I was right about this thing, but I needed this paper from some scientist to tell me that that was right. But it's, it's kind of like the most backward kind of ridiculous way of learning that you already know what you're feeling like to trust yourself. Like that's the whole point. <laughs> totally. It's kind of funny. Yeah. If it's not in a bar graph, we're yeah. not listening. No, give me a pie chart though. Um, <laughs> well, I'm so sort of 
I guess going back, I mean, we've been talking about, I guess, the movement of natural building, but then I, I guess a little bit more specifically for you, I mean, are you sort of like, uh, I guess, a general contractor in a way or a designer or are you actually, you know, lifting the beams or all of the above? I mean, how does this play out in your actual like practice? I guess. Yeah, well, a little bit of all of them, although... I, uh, you know, I'm not a designer. I think, you know, architects do their job fantastically well and, you know, engineers Mm -hmm. and uh, there are elements which I am designing because of just details. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, so so a couple of years ago, uh, I set up a company uh, called Heartwin, which is, so it's set out to build local, local material, low impact housing, uh, and teach people how to build in that way. And the way we decided to do that was to take a group of 10 students onto every new build we did, and they would be there from like digging the foundations right the way through to uh, like final finish plasters and paint. And wow. yeah, and so the, the, and the reason for that was that in natural building at the moment the sort of the the way that builds tend to happen is someone will half build a, a house and then they'll run a course and people will come and and uh you know pay some money or they'll volunteer and then they'll build say all the the straw in a, a straw bale house and then they'll all leave and then someone else will come in and fix all of their mistakes and uh and generally that person's for, for a long time has been me and and i was like you know it's it's both annoying for me but also those people who have done their very best uh they will never know that what they've done isn't quite up to scratch or you know what it means for the next person down the line and so they go away mm-hmm. thinking like ah this is exactly how how to build a house and then some of them will think, well, now I'm going to teach someone else. Mm-hmm. And then you've got this like ever expanding sort of lowering of, of, of quality. Um, and it's really bad for the, the sort of industry. Sure. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's why we wanted to, to bring people along for the whole, the whole ride. And also, you know, it's, it's teaching them, at sort of foundation level you're you've got a really big margin for error you know it can be a little bit over here a little bit over there it's fine and as you sort of go further and further up the building you're, you're getting smaller tolerances until you're into like finished plastering hmm. where it's you know millimeter and finished carpentry where it's it's precision stuff and so it's sort of it's like this perfect training uh program for people to like mm. hone in on on that that sort of quality and, and develop their skills. So to to go back to your your question, what what is it I actually do? Oof. Uh, yeah, doing <laughs> yeah, it's figuring out details, it's ordering materials, it's researching materials, making sure that everything mm. uh, is going to sort of play nicely. It's then educating people. Uh, while sort of keeping track of the budget and <laughs> it's I mean it's a big job <laughs> but yeah I mean the, the the reward is is huge because at the end of it 
you know, there's this this building that is made of the local landscape uh, and a whole load of people that know how to do that uh, and can go on and and I, I think sort of four or five out of our last build uh, went on to work in the the construction industry in, in sort of alternative building so it's it's pretty rewarding. Dang. The John C. Campbell Folk School's classes have resumed, and they also have lots of scholarship opportunities. You can browse their e-catalog to see current course offerings, request a print catalog, register for classes, and apply for scholarships all at folkschool.org. Once again, that's folkschool.org. North House Folk School teaches traditional craft online and on the shores of Lake Superior. Learn everything from basketry to fly fishing and shoemaking to woodworking of all sorts. North House will host the 2021 Wooden Boat Show both in person on campus June 18th through 20th and online June 3rd through 25th. Community, craft, sparkling waters, northern adventures, and summer's lights are at the heart of North House's efforts. Be sure to visit northhouse.org for more information. Um, so the way we actually do it with Hartwin is that we take the, the students are there and we we try not to say volunteers because that makes it sound I think it undermines a little bit what they're what they're doing and what they're getting. I mean we call them students because it's a full educational program. You know, there's lessons after after a day's work and uh but yeah, they're they're there for free. Um, and the, the balance is, you know, we are committed to giving them an education and experience and going at a speed where they can learn, mm-hmm. uh, and they are committing to us that they're going to stick with us for the whole build. And, you know, we work a, a construction day, uh, and they're going to be there on time and you know, kind of treat it like a job mm-hmm. as, as that sort of. You know, that's payment for the the education. Yeah, yeah, okay. And so, then, where the who are these private individuals who are like, I want this house built or something along those lines? Yes. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yes. Exactly. Gotcha. Cool. Ah, oh, I would love to be a part of something like that. <laughs> well, I should say that. So the uh, the the influence or the the. That it came from uh, a company called Community Rebuilds in Utah, and oh. uh, and they were doing just that in the desert. And I went there as part of my training, uh, and I spent two two builds I did over there, and it just made total sense. I mean, I think that the woman who who set it up, Emily Niehouse, is a kind of a genius in terms of you know seeing what. I guess it's seeing like resources and it, these, this type of building needs human resources, but to, mm-hmm. to go on and, and have this as a, you know, a fully fledged industry, it needs people again. So it's, you know, how can we pull people through that process while making mm. it affordable for the, for the, the client? Cool. So um, does the location of a building dictate the materials that you use yes very much so 
part of it is is we're, we're trying not to just go to the to the store uh and and get the the materials that are made who knows where and shipped and you know we're trying to look at each site as its own you know it's its own resource and so we did a build up in scotland where as we were driving up to do a site visit where there was there was trees everywhere uh, it was like you know driving through bc or or something like that mm. it's like right well we know we know what resource we've got there <laughs> yeah and getting onto site you know digging a little a little test pit to see what the ground's like and the subsoil because if we've got clay which we did there then that's a, a great thing we can use that for plasters we can use it for mortars um yeah so i mean every site is is specific and really being open to like how and i guess it's how how people used to build that's one thing so looking at all of all of the the sort of old buildings and saying like oh they've they've got stone buildings that's sort of common in this area so we know that stone is a you know if you're looking at the older buildings that were made before materials were shipped everywhere Mm. you know that stone's a good bet um, you know, if you see lots and lots mm. of brick buildings you know that there's going to be clay around because they needed clay to fire the brick um, mm. you know, to they were making bricks from the fired clay um so yeah really going in with a an open eye to to sort of what what could be your resources um and not being stuck in that one like i'm a straw bale builder or i'm a hemp builder uh mm. they're the only materials i work with it's doesn't doesn't really fit for me um yeah i think you know if you're working in an area where they don't grow wheat then don't build with straw <laughs> yeah seems like a really obvious right. thing yeah of course not it probably makes every job that much more interesting too though because even if you are going to a neighboring area that had a bunch of stone like that stone's probably got its own thing going on or I just think that's really cool. It kind of keeps you flexible and on your toes, but also makes everything like its own little like treasure hunt or something in a way. Definitely. Especially with like your, your subsoil, because you could go from a super clay rich subsoil, you know, in one part of your build site. And then at the other end, you could be digging like a sandy, sandy soil that wouldn't be, wouldn't be what you're after. Mm. And so it's, yeah, it's really super localized. Mm. Dang. Does that make the like the uh, the whole build? It makes the whole building process take longer. Then is that true? Because you have to go like kind of scout the site in a different way, and then design something with the the local materials in mind. Yeah, I mean, there's there's different levels you can uh, really kind of go into it. Uh, if, if you're going for the real sort of purist uh, approach, then yes, it would it would be very much you know, depending on your tolerances, I guess. You know, it might be that you you've got a radius that you're willing to accept materials, uh, mm. and yeah, it yeah really depends on how strict you want to be. Yeah, I saw this fascinating talk uh, from a guy who he was looking to see what his local plaster was like what his modern vernacular was and and so he started off at 
sort of five meters from his his back door you know what can i find in this area and does it make a plaster no falls off the wall and then he sort of slowly moved it out and at one point he got to clay i was like okay well this is good i've got sticky but yeah there's no there's no sort of uh aggregate in it because he hasn't yet found it and then at some point he hit a radius where it included a starbucks and they're chucking out all this uh coffee grounds Ah, suddenly he's like, oh, I've got my aggregate. Now I can make a, a plaster. Uh, and that's, you know, his modern vernacular thing. And that, yeah, that was the sort of how small a radius he could make it and what, what sort of, uh, yeah. I mean, that's that's super paying attention to, to what's, what's available. Wow. Yeah, that's wow. interesting. I like that. This actually sort of, builds upon what you just pointed out, which was uh, using kind of a, almost like an urban <laughs> uh, resource uh, in building, but can natural building be applied in larger buildings and urban areas? Yeah, it's, uh, you obviously have, it's a change in, you don't have such sort of local materials. Uh, although interestingly, uh, London, is largely on like a huge bed of clay. And so whenever they like dig out the tube line, uh, if they're putting in a new tube line, they ship away and pay, who knows what, to get rid of all this clay because that's what they're digging up. (laughs) And all these these natural builders in a city kind of scooping out clay from their their bins. But but, um, but yeah, I mean... when you're talking larger projects and in the city, you're more looking, I, I guess there's a spectrum of natural building of, of like, you know, what you can dig very, very raw materials up to products, which are, you know, made usually as, as sort of best they can in a sort of factory setting. Um, and yes, yeah, so there's, there's lots of things going on at the moment uh, with, uh, timber buildings and i think well I, I was reading actually that uh, bc uh vancouver has got a i think it was a 40 story uh timber timber skyscraper that they're they're building and there's one planned in japan which is even more wow. than that um so yeah there's definitely scope for building bigger hmm. things it's just you're you're getting away from that uh that sort of more handmade, uh, yeah, the hand processed, handmade sort of aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Like you're not going to see like a forty story tall like con- little quaint cobble country cottage or something like that. <laughs> I, I don't think so. I'd like. I mean, I'd like to see that. <laughs> yeah. One thing that's that's really interesting. So there's a a vegan football team. And um, when I, uh, I mean soccer, who I have, I think they've just got planning permission for uh, a, an all timber uh, stadium. What? Uh, yeah. Wow. I, the, yeah, the plans look beautiful. Wow. I'm picturing something like Shakespeare's Globe Theater or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In yeah. my head. <laughs> Me too. It's the first thing I thought of. <laughs> or like one of those early wooden roller coasters. <laughs> yeah. 
those are the best. Dang, that's so cool, though. Uh, It's really neat to see that, you know, those, uh, what's the expression I've heard a million times before, where it's like life reflects art or I don't know, it's something like that, but where you kind of see these like pipe dreams actually being pursued um, to where it, it it's like, even if maybe somehow that doesn't work out, just the fact that people are thinking on that level means that it'll probably make more, uh, I guess, smaller scale projects a little bit more accessible to more people. Yeah. I How did you, I don't, we don't have this written down, but how did you get into this? So I guess, well, I mean, I'd always been, uh into making things and uh at school i was i was like the the technology classes were were the the ones that i spent all my time doing and you know, scraping by in all other subjects uh i just wanted to make things uh and so i went and i did that at university uh and did a what was called industrial design which is it's sort of like product design, but how you make all the components that go in a product as well as what it looks like. Okay. Uh, and I was really enjoying that. And then I, I think in the, the final year, they introduced this idea of built-in obsolescence and mm. how we should be designing products to fail so that people buy more products. What? what? And I was outraged. They actually like, taught that? Oh, it's, totally a thing yeah that's like a thing like you always think that's like a conspiracy theory thing yeah some company eventually gets busted for it but not as like a part of a college curriculum that's crazy oh that makes Mm -hmm. me like very yeah bitter (laughs) (laughs) yeah well imagine how i felt i just and i'll have to work through that (laughs) were you like totally shocked were you shocked by that yeah, I, I, wow. I mean, it undermined pretty much you know, the last, I mean, I guess it would have been at that point sort of five years of my life. Uh, so, yeah, it was kind of like had the had the, the rug pulled out from under me a little bit. Uh, and so I just became a graphic yeah. designer almost out of like just rebellion, I guess. Yeah. And then, uh, so, I, yeah, I was a graphic designer for four or five years. And at one point just realized this is, this is like, it doesn't make me happy. I'm designing things that don't exist. I was making websites and I lacked any of that tangible, you know, nothing I made really existed. Um, and I don't think I was very good at it. <laughs> if I'm totally honest. Uh, so, so, um, so yeah, at some point I, um, and it was interesting actually, uh, Amy, you were saying uh, on on my podcast that you you sort of had this this job where you're getting paid more and more money, and you just had to sort of get out. And that was that was me in like the the graphic design world, and mm-hmm. I I just had to like even though I could be set for life, mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. wanted had to get out. And I I did the only thing that I could think of mm-hmm. that made me happy, and that was I went snowboarding in Canada. <laughs> Yeah, I hadn't yet hit that like run of of sustainability and doing the right thing. I was <laughs> I was living a little for me at that point. Um, but yeah, so Canada like totally <laughs> changed my life. Uh, after the snowboarding, I I sort of traveled around BC and met these people who were 
living in this you know, sustainable way and building their own homes and and it totally changed me and i've suddenly saw like this is my way to get back into to having my hands on uh feeling some sort of you know proper accomplishment mm-hmm. and then from then i just well I, I traveled around the states uh every summer i still went back and snowboarded in the winter so you know it wasn't a complete <laughs> <laughs> complete lifestyle shift um but yeah traveled uh sort of oregon was big the, the sort of pacific northwest has got a huge natural building scene uh, and then across to Utah, uh, sort of learning. And I, I, I kind of felt like uh, for, for four of the five years I was out there, I, I felt like I'm never going home. Why would I go home? <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I think I need to go home now. And <laughs> I had this sort of strong urge, this yeah, this strong urge that, uh, that I needed to go and try and make you know, my home, my place better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so yeah and that that's yeah i then went home and i i did the, the so i did the course uh brian and i were talking about it earlier the uh the prince's foundation which is the one that miriam johnson did mm-hmm. yeah uh, your stone carver guest mm-hmm. yes um, yeah so we were doing this course at the same time oh. and she was she was sort of on the the school leavers uh level of the course and i was on a, a sort of more more experienced but she was way better than most people on on sort of my level uh she's yeah next level yeah. Awesome. and to hear more about miriam johnson check out episode 16 <laughs> nice. oh that's so pro i'm gonna learn so much from this <laughs> you won't learn any of that from me uh, i can't <laughs> can't remember stuff like that i'm so glad i can remember the episode numbers i'm really proud of myself yeah. i do screw them up every once in a while but, you know we don't have that many episodes to get <laughs> right but yeah that, that was me me how i sort of developed it it's one of those things i think um a lot of times when you're growing up people are like well you know you just gotta live while you're young and like try lots of stuff and you know do different things and all that kind of stuff. And then when you actually do it, people are like, what are you doing? You need to be. <laughs> <laughs> or if that doesn't happen, you're telling it to yourself. Like, it's just kind of funny, like all the mixed messages people get. But I think uh, following your your gut was a good decision. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, I mean, I don't know if it's the same over there, but it was. it was always... I think it was sort of frowned upon maybe that people working with their hands just, you know, school seemed to be like, we are, we are making these educated people that are going to work in offices and they're going to do this sort of academic or or computer work. Mm -hmm. There was really very little sort of positive uh, encouragement to get into making things, uh, yeah, yeah. I, it, I think it's a, a real shame. And I think it's why, well, I think we're sort of missing a trick in that you know, we could have really, uh, well, much more sort of really intelligent builders who are focused on, on making these like smart buildings uh, if, if we sort of didn't demonize that whole like, industry. Totally. Do you know about wood? 
grows in trees. If you witness it, you open as it opens out what is out there. But most of us just don't treat wood right. Judge the wood when the wood does not judge. Oh, that's too punky. That one doesn't burn long. That one's got too many knots in it. Not worth the trouble. And all that, instead of working with it. Not even letting it burn purely. Always throwing stuff in the fire. The stuff can keep us out the rain for years, but we never kiss that ceiling. Just complain when it starts to give and leak. Never asking what it's hungry for. What would the wood teach if we could listen? I mean, I love the stuff, but I do not understand it. Brian gave me a book called Understanding Wood to remedy this, but I opened it up to a random page, saw something about different flex rates in different woods, then saw the universe compressing and expanding. I had to close that thing made of thin tree sheets. Wasn't ready for all wood would show me if I let it. But I did learn that, would I, could I, should I? It's a much better mindset to think in than woulda, coulda, shoulda. Since it means we're presently considering the predicament instead of noticing what we woulda, coulda, shoulda done did not as well as coulda been with the would nots and could nots we see in retrospect. In tiding with this perspective, Roy Underhill believes handcraft woodworking is a thing of the future, not the past. That it never passed or fell so far from favor we'd need to call it a comeback. It just grew and grows indiscriminately. Like a tree. His work with wood grain has been publicized for decades through the grain of PBS television on a show called The Woodwright Shop, where wood has rights in the just desserts of lights, camera, and action for all it does for us. In our next episode, Roy teaches us how woodcrafts work on us as they become objects carved of the consciousness from the carver's specific nature, changing minds more in its direction. Won't you join us and see how your brain grains may grow? What are some of the challenges that you've encountered um, with natural building? Well, the one I find is is the the hardest is that because i'm trying to solve so many issues uh, of making a natural building making a local building making a high performance building uh you know make it really low embodied energy sometimes in there there's compromises which don't feel good but are the right thing to do so a really good example of that is is sort of the use of uh, membranes and tape uh, in in homes, and mm. by using a membrane, and this isn't the only way to do it by any means, but in certain buildings, if you use a membrane, then you can make it twenty percent more efficient because the air doesn't leak in or leak out, uh, mm. and so by sort of combining building sort of modern building science with natural materials there's a, a sort of middle ground where you're, you're sort of making this high performance, low embodied energy building. But sometimes you're using a tape or a membrane, which is like completely not natural. So yeah, that is a definite challenge for me um, to, to find sort of where my line is and 
mm. on where I have to have to compromise. Do you find that that line has moved around a lot over the last several years? Definitely. Yeah. So I was at the beginning, so all the, the sort of time I was in Oregon, I was very much in the, I will only use natural materials. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of blind to the, the building science side of it. Uh, and there's things I know, well, I know now, and I look back on, on some of those early buildings, I'm like, oh, yeah, they were, <laughs> they were good in many ways because they were like the perfect local thing. Mm-hmm. But I would not be making some of those decisions now. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, definitely coming back to the UK, I, I was sort of pulled more. Well, interestingly, I was pulled to a, a sort of heritage standpoint, first of all. So looking at uh, the, the sort of crafts, the building crafts of uh, you know, historic uh, UK building. Um, and so that sort of wavered me over a little bit. And then I've almost come back to, I don't know, I've never thought that we should build super insulated buildings really high-tech ones from modern materials that's that's always been like red line but i think that where i've settled now is is trying to find that that happy medium Mm. is there someone or a type of person inside of natural building that you really admire uh yeah i mean there's loads of people um Mm. and through the podcast i'm slowly like ticking them off the list of people i've i've had a really good chat to Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say probably the most inspiring person is a woman called Emma Appleton. And she is, I think, I'd say she's quite similar to me in, she's finding that midpoint between heritage building and natural building uh, and you know, sort of high performance building. Mm-hmm. She is uh just one of the most enthusiastic and happy people that i've i've only worked on one building site with her but she was just a you know a joy to be around and saw everything it's like a positive challenge (laughs) um but the thing the thing that's really great about what she's doing is she's she's made a list of a hundred ways to make a building site uh better oh cool and wow yeah i so so inspiring uh and there are things like you know grow tomatoes on on your the the window box stretch (laughs) drink water uh that's so practical forgetting you know (laughs) i know but there are things that um and she calls it the the sort of anti-capitalist building site because the capitalist way is to you know you need to work and profit is the reason Mm. and we do everything and actually to to think about ourselves and our bodies as our tools is this you know it's anti-capitalist it's it's anti-profit it's it's pro-human uh and it's a you know revolutionary act um so yeah so she's created this list and then i know of a few different building sites where they start every morning with you know they they pick one out and they read it and they sort of reflect on how how that's going to affect how they work that day and then they go off to work and you know she's made such a positive impact to to not just natural building sites um yeah she's a total hero of mine oh i love that 
I would just love the energy that would be left after that build is complete. Like, I feel like you just feel the joy, like radiating from the walls and those big juicy red ripe tomatoes hanging from the window box. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I love that. Oh, is there is there anybody outside of your craft that has made a big impact on you? And this could be anyone. On me. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there's a guy. <laughs> so on the last Heartwind build we did, uh, there's a guy. Uh, so John Mullaney. I don't know if you've come across him. He's a fantastic craftsman. Builds, uh, makes shrink pots. Uh, oh cool yeah oh my gosh i love his shrink pots he became almost like a a sort of god figure on on our last build and various (laughs) people had had got the little bowls that he makes uh and we got the 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 shrink pots to put all the the coffee in on site Mm -hmm. and just yeah it was like what what would john maloney do what was he doing this situation? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he, he. I don't think we ever told him that he became this sort of mythical uh, feature on our, on our site. But there's you know ten students that are all like they know John Mulaney. That's really great. And he's he's a pretty magic guy. Like he used to work. I'm pretty sure I'm getting this right. He used to work down the the coal mines, uh, and now he's making you know, beautifully artistic uh you know bits of work uh and i think he's i think i'm right in saying he's taught himself fiddle and banjo wow. kind of later on in life and, wow. uh yeah he's just a really inspiring chap Jeez. Wow, that's wonderful so out, outside of uh natural building wells what else are you interested in i mean green woodworking is a big one for me mm-hmm. uh spoons especially i teach kind of probably a fair chunk of my income is is teaching people Mm. spoon carving (laughs) uh that's a i love i truly love that and i love the the as i'm sure you know like the the transition in people from from getting to concentrate on a thing and uh you know and they they go quiet and in the afternoon mm-hmm. everyone's just you know, mm-hmm. gently shaving away mm-hmm. yeah really quiet really quiet it's a beautiful thing and then someone axes up something out and it's all ruined <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, uh yeah so i mean that's a big thing uh i'm really interested in basketry just in a purely Uh-oh. you know as a, a hobby <laughs> but yeah. I, I did a course with, so Steve Tomlins, mm-hmm. who did a course with April Stone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, and that, that just completely blew my mind. Sort of the ash splint uh, mm-hmm. basketry. Um, and I'm totally going to steal the words from someone who was on the course with me. But he said that the, there's a magic in taking a straight log and then essentially beating it up and then getting strips that you can make round. So it's, you know, the straight to the curve to the supple, Mm -hmm. you know, this transformation is, is something that's really magic. Mm -hmm. Uh, And just before lockdown, I was just about to go and do a course with uh, Lorna, uh, Lorna Weaves Oak is her Instagram name. 
uh, on hazel baskets. Oh, cool. And, yeah, that seemed to me like the... Because from what I understand, ash, the, the ash we've got in the UK is, is much tougher and harder to, to pound. Mm. So it doesn't lend itself so well to the, the black ash. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've got an abundance of hazel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, you know, it's a very, very common thing, like massively common thing here. So, yeah, I'm really interested to see how she's processing hazel to make a similar kind of material. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. But, yeah, it's a really influence going all over the place there. Are there larger trees then? Because I'm thinking of the like the native hazel that we have here and like the hazelnut tree is kind of like shrubby. It's like a shrubby tree, sort of like. I don't know if you could coppice it or not. I don't know too much about it, but is it something you would weave like you weave willow or it's you have to like make it into splints and Yes. So the latter it's it's making it into splints. And hmm. I should say that I've watched a couple of YouTube uh videos and, and then had a go myself and I didn't really get the knack. <laughs> but it's you're getting uh, sort of pieces of hazel about the, the width of your thumb uh-huh. and then making a little tiny incision and then kind of bending it over your knee. Mm. And it's, it sort of delaminates one of those growth rings mm. and you can oh. sort of peel that off. Wow. Oh, interesting. Um, so it's a, you know, relatively similar to the, the ash splints. Huh. Um, uh, wow. Dang. That's really. So, yeah. And I've got a feeling that that came, the idea of doing it like that came from, Maybe like Romania or somewhere like that. Hmm. Man, baskets are fascinating. They're so good. So, uh, Jeffrey, if someone wants to see more of your work, where can they find you? Or the podcast? Well, well, uh, yeah, well, they can listen to my my version of, of this chat, I guess. That's a weird way of saying it. <laughs> yeah, we'll go with that. So they can listen to the episode with you uh, on my podcast uh, that's probably a good place to start uh, mm-hmm. and that can be found on building sustainability mm-hmm. uh, if they want to follow me in particular uh, not in a creepy way uh, <laughs> jeffrey the natural builder uh, that's me so jeffrey natural builder.com or instagram is probably the best way which is at mm. jeffrey the natural builder Cool. Cool. Well, Jeffrey, thank you so much yeah. for agreeing to do this really fun swap. I'm really excited for, you know, both of these episodes to drop. Mm-hmm. I personally found you to be a very gracious host. So thanks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and guest. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I had a great time. Oh, well, thank you so much. It's been a, an absolute pleasure. I really enjoyed both sides of this conversation. Yeah. Yeah, great. Okie dokie, Amy. What else do we have for these fine listeners? <laughs> a, free, <laughs> a free way to support us is to rate and review the show. And please subscribe while you're at it. Yeah. And thank you to everyone who has taken the time to rate and or review us. Um, subscribing also makes it so that our latest episode is automatically downloaded to your device. It's not some like megalomania, gotta catch them all listeners sort of thing. It's actually just, it just downloads faster onto your phone or whatever, wherever you listen to things. So that's why we're telling you to do it. (laughs) 
Oh, thank you everyone for your support on Patreon. It helps us pay for our website, host the audio, uh, the recording equipment and every other bill and more support means making the show a more sustainable endeavor. Also, as many of you know, (laughs) we've committed 15% of our donated income to putting money towards craft scholarships. Yay. So a huge, huge thank you. Um, Last year, we donated it to Crafting the Future. Mm -hmm. um, And we might do the same this year, but we're still working out the details. Yeah. You can follow us on Instagram at Cut the Craft Podcast to see images of our guest work and stay up to date on everything happening. And you can find us both on Instagram at Amy underscore Umble and at BH Beidler. Thank you so much to our sponsors, John C. Campbell Folk School in North Carolina and North House Folk School in Minnesota, both of whom play a huge part in keeping handcraft alive and thriving. And of course, thank you so much to Brad Vetter for your graphic design, to the High Divers and Luke Mitchell of the High Divers for letting us use your music and for some help with the back-end production. And then also to Justin Williams, who writes those little poetic tidbits that announce the next guest every episode. And um, next up, we have an interview with woodworker, enthusiasm producer, and PBS superstar, Roy Underhill. Uh, (laughs) We're so (laughs) excited about this one. It was such a fun conversation. Yeah. And uh, to give you a preview of our super fun conversation, here is a brief clip. You know, just living better. So, you know, this is kind of that Woodstock Nation uh, uh, (laughs) fantasy you know, of everybody's going to be doing handcraft in the future. And this goes back, you know, Ruskin, the same thing, uh, turn of the century in the arts and crafts movement. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's not, uh, I don't believe it's a thing of the past. I really think it's uh, the the way of tomorrow uh, Mm -hmm. much better. So Mm -hmm. if that's, uh, (laughs) if that being my hope, I sure hope uh, it's grown more interested in the hand-powered woodworking. Mm-hmm. And it has, yeah, yeah, we're winning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's what we want to hear.